0: Hey, good morning, church. How are we today? Good morning. Good morning. Sounding good. That's awesome. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. So excited to be with you today. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and get those out right now. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, we've got some people coming down the aisles right now that would love to get you one. All you have to do is raise your hand and they will pass one over to you. And as you get those out, as you get a copy, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's where we're going to be this morning. 1 Corinthians 12, and as you're doing that, I'm just going to go ahead and go out on a limb here right now and just assume that each and every one of you wants to live a good life. That's your desire. That deep down inside, each and every one of you is this desire to have a life that is one that flourishes. And some of you, even right now, might be like, you don't know me. Don't talk to me like you know me. Maybe I want to live a terrible life. No, 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 I know you. I know that you want to live a good life, whether you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you love gathering together and you're a part of this church or whether this is your first time here and you want nothing to do with God at all. It's a desire that is hardwired into you. And how do I know this? I know this because God's word shows it to be true. That after God created Adam and Eve, he said, go and be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and flourish. And he said, cultivate this garden and keep it and with this garden flourish that I've placed you. And he commands them to do those things in Genesis 1 and in Genesis 2 and so this desire for a good life this desire to flourish is is hardwired into each and every one of your hearts but what does it look like for us to live a good life now what does it look like for us to flourish now most of us aren't tending to gardens and, and and having them flourish most of us live lives in the 21st century and and so what would that look like I think the best way I've ever heard it explained was by this pastor named Mark Sayers, and he's from Australia, and he said that for in order uh, for for humankind to live lives that are flourishing and good, they have three tanks that must be filled, and the first tank that needs to be filled is a is a tank for meaning, a tank of meaning. We need to have a sense of purpose and meaning. We need to believe that what we're doing here on Earth matters. Viktor Frankl, in his famous book, Man's Search for Meaning, Uh, discovered that those who survived concentration camps in World War II were not the most muscular, were not the most well-fed, were not the strongest individuals, but they were the individuals who had the greatest sense of meaning and the greatest sense of purpose. Meaning is so important and valuable for a human to flourish and live a good life. The second tank is is our, our, our tank of community. And each and every one of us need a community to thrive. And that spans all the way from our most intimate relationships with our spouse or our parents or our children or our siblings to our neighbors that we occasionally see and have small talk with, to individuals who we don't know at all, but we gather arm in arm together because we're wearing the same colors and cheering for the same team. We need all of those levels of community in order to flourish and thrive and lead a good life. And the third, the final tank, is a tank of freedom. We have this need, this desire to live and move and operate in such a way where not every single one of our actions are controlled and manipulated by an outside force so that we are free to live on mission as we believe that we are called to live. And so these are the three tanks that we need to have filled in order to live flourishing, healthy lives. Now the problem, the interesting situation for us today in the 21st century here in America in West Michigan is that one of these tanks is bursting at the seams and is overflowing, and that is our tank of freedom. Our tank of freedom is absolutely overflowing, and all you need to do for proof that this is a reality for each and every one of us is go to the grocery store. Go to the grocery store and walk down literally any aisle. Go to the cookie aisle and go to where the Oreos are. Look at all the Oreos you can now buy. The choices and the options. I mean, growing up, you had regular Oreos and you had double stuffed Oreos. But now you have spinner Oreos and Oreos that are dipped in fudge, and you have berry burst Oreos, and you have uh, pumpkin Oreos, and you have uh, creamsicle Oreos, and you even have these kinds of Oreos, at one point, NASCAR Oreos, which I'd imagine tastes like some combination of deep fried fair food and motor oil or something. <laughs> But if that's your thing, you have the option and the freedom to choose that Oreo and eat it and enjoy it. More power to you. Our options for freedom to express this freedom are endless. The Oreo example is a funny little microcosm of of the bigger picture of this overflowing tank of freedom. we have the freedom to choose to wear what we want to wear. We have the freedom to uh, be a part of whatever community or subculture we want to be a part of. Our culture has pushed the needle of our freedom so far that we are, there's this increasingly accepted belief that we are free to choose our sexuality and choose our gender and how we would express that gender publicly. We, we are even so free and we often take this for granted that we have this freedom of movement. Uh, there's a certain network of nations that if you have a certain passport, all you have to do is hop on the internet and buy a plane ticket and you can travel almost anywhere you want. You can travel anywhere around this country, reestablish yourself and redefine yourself. We are an extremely free people. And so we have this overflowing sense of freedom. And as I mentioned earlier, freedom is good, but our tank is bursting and it is costing us. Our overflowing tank of freedom is costing us community. Our overflowing tank of community is costing us meaning. Those tanks are desperately low. Those tanks are depleted. And our freedom is maxed out at the expense of community, at the expense of meaning. Never before in all of human history have we been more connected through the Internet and social media, but never before have we been so lost And lonely as a people and I don't mean culturally out there I mean us in here do you sense that do you feel that and why is that the case why do we have this overflowing sense of freedom well we live in a broken system we live in a system that was designed with this belief that in order for mankind to experience the greatest amount of flourishing he must be perfectly and ultimately free. Everything bows down to the individual and celebrates the autonomous self and individuality. This, it's, it's hardwired into our very country's DNA. You know, what was that famous line from Patrick Henry in like the late 18th century? He, he said this. He said, give me liberty or give me what? Death. We all know that. We all know that line and listen, that's an important statement and it means one thing under the oppressive rule of a tyrannical government, but we have taken that concept and that idea and we have maxed it out at the expense of living truly healthy, flourishing lives and we are living in this broken system and all of us in one way or another, we have bought into this system and we have believed the lie and we have embraced this system as a, as a means and a way of flourishing and living a good life. And they often say that the system that you have is built in such a way that it gives you the things that it's designed to produce, and whether we want it or not, our system is producing more anxiety, more depression, more fear, more fear of commitment, more FOMO. Do you know what FOMO is? Fear of missing out. Have you ever heard that before? If not, you learn something new every day, right? The sense that, man, am I living my best life now, and I feel like I'm missing out, and there's always something better going on, and... It's because of the system that's been built. We've just got this one input and it is just flooding us with freedom. Freedom without meaning and relationship is a recipe for disaster. And so what do we need? We need a better system. We need a system that's going to increase our meaning. We need a system that's going to increase our community while at the same time actively and in a healthy way limiting and constraining our freedom. We need to limit our choices. We need to limit our desire for individuality. Listen, we find meaning through deep connection with other people. We find value by giving ourselves sacrificially to something greater than ourselves. In fact, that leads us to our big idea this morning, and it's this. My greatest value is not found apart from the whole, but it's found as part of the whole. My greatest value is not found apart from the whole, but as part of the whole. My chief identity and value are not found in blazing some new trail on my own, calling my own shots, answering to no one, following every whim and passion that I have. My greatest value is found in giving up a healthy amount of my personal freedom to be a part of a community that's bigger than myself and to give of myself sacrificially for the betterment of that community That's the kind of system we need. And so here's the good news. God's designed that system. God has. He has designed and created this perfect system for you to live in and flourish in and find a good life in. And that is the church. And if you have believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, then you are a part of this family of God. And within this community, you will find the meaning you need to live a life that matters. You will find the community that will give you support and love you and hold you up and hold you accountable in such a way that you will find freedom in a healthy way that will allow you to thrive and flourish and live that good life. And so as we sort of turn our attention to this last section of the book of First Corinthians, where. Titling this section, Gifted to Build. We're titling it Gifted to Build because as we see in these last few chapters, we're going to study over the next couple of weeks, the Apostle Paul turns his attention to community life. And the fact that each and every believer, each and every follower of Jesus Christ has been equipped and empowered with the Holy Spirit in such a way that we can join hand in hand with one another, with the community of God, and witness as God's kingdom is made manifest here on earth as it is in heaven. And so this is what Paul is about to get into right now. So let's go ahead and turn our attention to God's word. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. Let's start reading now. Paul writes this. He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except the Holy Spirit. And so what Paul's doing here now at the beginning of chapter 12 is he's turning his attention back to the letter that the Corinthians wrote to Paul. They had some questions for him, and Paul had sort of gone on a sidebar for a while addressing some other issues, but now he's uh, fixing his attention back on the letter the Corinthians wrote, and he's answering some questions that they had about community and these spiritual gifts that were manifesting themselves in the community. Questions like, what are they? What exactly do they look like? Are certain gifts better than others? Does everyone have the same amount of gifts, or do we have different gifts? Are certain gifts better than other gifts? How can we tell if these gifts are from the Holy Spirit? How can we tell if these gifts are from demonic forces? And, And listen, we don't have a copy of this letter, so we can't tell you exactly that's what those questions were, but we can infer from what Paul is writing that this is how he is addressing what they wrote initially in that letter. And so Paul begins to unpack some of that stuff in verse 4. In verse 4, Paul writes, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. And to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common and good. And so what Paul is trying to say overarching right here is that, listen, yes, there are varieties of gifts. There are a bunch of different kinds of gifts, but here's the most important thing. The most important thing is not what kind of gift you have or how much of that gift that you have. The important thing isn't that the gift would glorify the receiver of the gift, but the important thing is that the gift would glorify the giver of the gift in such a way that you would use that gift to build up the body for the common good. And so Paul, he starts to unpack and list out some of these gifts in verse 8. Look there now. Verse 8, he writes, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to, to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, And to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And maybe we get to this section right now and you're like, oh, now this is the good stuff. Maybe you read ahead earlier and you see all these gifts. And yeah, we're going to get into prophecy and tongues. And we're going to find out what all of these mean right now. Because when we get into spiritual gifts, it gets a little dicey. And that's getting you excited right now. I hate to burst your bubble. We're not going there today. A couple weeks we'll be in 1 Corinthians 14. We'll unpack more of that then. What we are spending our time focusing on today is the purpose of the gifts and how they are to glorify God and build up the community and build up the body of Christ, which is the analogy that Paul uses in verse 12. Check that out. Verse 12, he writes this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Uh, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And so before we unpack this any further, here's the one thing I want us to pull from these first 13 verses, and it's this. I am part of something bigger than myself. That's something each and every one of us need to recognize. If we are followers of Jesus Christ, it's this. I am a part of something bigger than myself. We are no longer called to serve ourselves. We can no longer live to satisfy our own desires. We are not islands. We are not these autonomous individuals who operate for our own good. We are now members of the body of Jesus Christ. And hopefully now you begin to see how these two systems cannot exist with one another. It's like oil and water. They begin to crash and collide with one another. On the one hand, we have the system of our world that celebrates the individual above anything else and prizes freedom. And on the other hand, we've got the system that God designed for us. It's a community of believers living to celebrate God above everything else. Dying to self, giving up your rights for your brothers and sisters in Christ. But here's what I think so many of us do. So many of us, we, we have both feet firmly planted in the system of the world. And we've embraced the lie that... that, that That the way I flourish, the way I live a good life, I do that by pursuing freedom. But then I'm going to lean over and I'm going to grab out of God's system the things that I think will make me happy and bring me joy and I'm going to have a little taste of the good life and I'm going to experience some pseudo-flourishing when all the while I'm still living squarely in the broken system of this world. And when we do that, we reframe what God has designed, we privatize it, we individualize it in such a way that what we are doing is we are operating in God's system with a consumer mindset. This place is one of many stops for us throughout the week to get our jesus fill, and then we go out of here like nothing ever happened. Maybe we come for the worship and we have this amazing experience as we sing songs to the Lord or we just come for the message to learn some things but we leave here just feeling happy with ourselves because we made the stop at the church and we took the things off the shelves that we wanted and we're happy and filled and content and we're going to go about celebrating the thing that we really care about which is our freedom. Now it looks like a variety of ways for each and every one of us. And for some of us it might look like um, you know, we have five services in two different campuses. And maybe we look at the different services in the different campuses like this buffet of options, like the wide choice of Oreos that we now have, and we're like, what's, what's going to work best for me this week? What's most convenient for me and my family? What service do I like best? Or maybe worst of all, um, like, I'm tired, and I had a hard week, and so I just kind of want to veg out in my PJs, and what I'm going to do is I'm just going to watch on livestream this week. Now listen, live stream, live stream I'm talking to you now, I'm not dogging you guys, we love you and we're so grateful for you and I I know that for many people they're traveling and they want to experience what God's doing here while they're traveling or you're sick or you're bedridden and it's a blessing for you, but listen, if you make it a habit to say hey, you know what, I'm just not feeling getting up and getting to church today, I'll just catch it on live stream later and that's a thing you do, God's word specifically says do not neglect the meeting together with the saints. And, and if, you, if you neglect it consistently, I don't know what else to call that but sin. And that's the seeping in of that consumer mindset. That, that how can this serve me? How can this benefit me? How can I get the most out of this thing? And instead of approaching these five services and two campuses, which exist because we want to reach the maximum amount of people with the gospel of Jesus Christ to create thriving, flourishing disciples of Jesus Christ, because this is a life or death matter, and it's serious. It's serious. We are going after this, and we don't provide these options as a buffet to make our lives easier. So here's what God doesn't want from you in in something like this. God God doesn't want you to, like, fast about this and pray, like, God, where am I most obedient? What's the most obedient service for me to attend? Like, that's, that's not what I'm trying to drive at here. Here's what God wants from each and every one of us. God just wants our hearts to be surrendered to him. God wants us to be fully devoted, bought in, committed to this body. This gathering, this isn't just a thing between you and God. We're a family here. We are all a part of something bigger than ourselves. You have to believe that. I am part of something bigger than myself. Me gathering together is me gathering together with my brothers and sisters in Christ. This is not just for me. We've all been gifted by the Holy Spirit with these gifts to use when we gather together for the common good, for the body of Christ. And I love that analogy. I love that picture of the body of Christ that Paul uses. If you've been around church for any amount of time, you're probably like familiar with it and you're like, oh yeah, the body. Yeah, we are the body of Christ. But listen, it's so perfect. In fact, I think it's so perfect that when God was creating and designing the world and he created the body, that God in his perfect foresight, he knew that his apostle Paul would be trying to unpack what the church looks like and how it operates and flourishes and that God designed the body in such a way that Paul would be able to divinely point to the human body something we all have to help us understand how the church works. Just like God divinely appointed marriage for us to understand how Jesus operates in relation to the church, he has divinely created this body so that we can understand how we are to exist and flourish. Each and every one of us have a body. And our body is composed of many different body parts. Toes, toenails, shins, knees, arms, legs, hands, fingers, eyes, ears, mouths. But none of those things on their own is a body. I know that seems obvious, but I think that each and every one of us think that we individually are the church, and that's just not true. We together, collectively, are members of the body, and we are the church. The God designed system of the church is so antithetical to the system of our world. This system, this community, is not designed to celebrate us individually. It is designed in such a way that we would give of ourselves, die to ourselves, serve one another with our Holy Spirit equipped and empowered gifts for the celebration of Jesus Christ alone. We are part of something bigger than ourselves. So Paul's got more to say about this body analogy. Let's dig in on this. Let's go to verse 14. Verse 14, Paul writes this. He says, For the body cannot, uh, does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Here's the next thing we need to understand. I have a unique role to fulfill. Each and every one of us, followers of Jesus Christ... I have a unique role to fulfill. Regardless of your position in the body, you have a part to play, a part that is vitally important. It is necessary for the health of this church that you fulfill that role that God has called you to. It is necessary for the flourishing of this community that you step into that role and that you're obedient. What Paul is communicating in this passage is that regardless of how seemingly insignificant or inconsequential your role might be, that because you are now part of the body, you and your role actually have value, have significance. Not less so, but because you're part of the body, more so. My greatest value is not found apart from the whole, but as part of the whole. And in order to communicate this idea, Paul, he directs our attention to the individual body parts. And what Paul does at this point is he gives them voice, and he turns them into like these people. The fancy word for this is, is anthropomorphizing. Have you ever heard that word before? Last, last week you guys heard complementarianism and egalitarianism. I just thought we needed another fancy word this week. And so basically what this means is it means that, that Paul is kind of creating these characters out of the different body parts. And so the first character that he introduces us to, we'll just go ahead and call him Mr. Foot. Okay? So we got Mr. Foot. And Mr. Foot's kind of like this sad sack, defeatist attitude kind of guy. And he's looking up at Mr. Hand. And he's like, man, like, Mr. Hand is pretty sharp. Like, he's got jewelry on him, and he's always so clean. Sometimes Mr. Hand's got, like, painted nails, and that's, like, really nice. And, man, I'm just a foot, and I'm down here, and I stink, and, like, I'm calloused, and I'm just kind of gross. Like, I don't deserve to be on this body. And then Paul, he sort of directs our attention kind of upwards, and he introduces us to uh, Mr. Ear. And Mr. Ear is not looking at, at the hand, but Mr. Ear is looking across at Miss Eye. And Mr. Ear is like, man, Miss Eye is, wow. I mean, she, she sparkles in the light. She is beautiful. She is complex. She is so expressive. And I'm just over here like this clump of skin just sort of accidentally smashed onto the side of a head. If you look inside, I got this sticky, waxy stuff inside. Like, I am nasty. I don't deserve to be on the head. Maybe I should just be on, like, the back or something. Like, I shouldn't even be on the body. And listen, it's it's kind of a silly illustration, but this is where Paul directs us because, listen, this is how so many of us process and operate within this very church. And we walk in here and we see, like, how gifted certain people are, and we see that certain people are, like, like just... Everywhere, serving in some capacity. I mean, this is a big church. And we look around, and and instead of jumping in and joining in and using the gifts that God's given us, we say, you know what? They've got things covered here. I'm good. And, and, And we believe these lies that lead us to neglect the very gifts that God has given us. Here's one lie that many of us believe. Instead of using our giftedness, we say something like this. We say, I'm not needed here. I'm not needed here. I don't need to be a part of this all because they've got the bases covered. We walk in and we see the people greeting us and creating this warm and loving atmosphere. And we're glad to be here. And wow, they're so nice. And then we walk into this room and we worship and we see these musicians and these singers use their gifts in such powerful ways. And we're like, wow, they're so gifted. And then we go downstairs and you know we pick up our kids and we see all the volunteers on there taking care of our kids loving our kids protecting our kids teaching our kids about Jesus more like man this church has got every single base covered I am just not needed here and listen if that's you if you believe that lie let me just tell you something I could introduce you to any pastor director or leader of a ministry at the church and they would be able to find for you today a spot for you to use your unique giftedness I guarantee it your Belief is a lie. It's not lining up with reality. And so, might I suggest that the reason you embrace this lie, that I'm not needed here, is because it's convenient for you? That you believe this lie because ultimately, you're still squarely in the system where you're celebrating your freedom. And you prize your freedom and your ease of living over giving of yourself sacrificially to this community and serving in some way. Maybe. We believe this lie that I'm not needed here. Another lie that many of us believe is this. I'm not gifted enough. This is what we think. I'm not gifted enough. And again, we come here and we look around and, and we, we, see, we see the people singing and, and leading worship and we're like, man, they've got beautiful voices and I can't sing worth a lick and man, I could never do something like that. Or we go downstairs and we see how patient and loving those teachers are and we're like, man, I would not be nearly that patient with those kids we just think, I'm not gifted enough. And listen, we are falling into a comparison trap if that's what we're doing. And that's exactly what Paul's highlighting as the foot compares itself to the hand, as the ear compares itself to the eye. Listen, it's like pseudo humility disguised as selfish disobedience. Now you might be right about some things. Like you might not be able to sing and you shouldn't be on the worship team. If you were to sing in front of people, you might cause a crisis of faith in the hearts of the believers in this church. People might scream, There is no God! But listen, just because you're not gifted in that way, it it doesn't mean you're not gifted at all. God's word makes it clear that we are all unique members of the body of Christ, and as such, we have a unique role to fulfill. We are all uniquely gifted each and every one of us, we have a unique role to fulfill. It might not be the preacher, it might not be the worship leader, it might not be the small group leader, but you got something. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've got something. And if you don't think you do, then you're either not a follower of Jesus Christ, or you're calling God a liar. How are you gifted? How has God equipped you and empowered you to to build this church up for the common good, It's essential. It's essential for the flourishing of this church, and it's essential for your own flourishing. You want to experience that good life? I know you want to experience that good life. This is how you step into that and flourish and grow. And so let's go back to 1 Corinthians. Paul's still on the body analogy, but now he's got this new angle here in verse 21. Check this out. This is what he writes. He says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Here's the last thing I want us to take away from this passage. It's this. I need others to fulfill their roles. If you're a member of this body... I need emphasis on the need. I need other people to step in and do what God's called them to do and fulfill their roles. Look around you. These are the people that you need. I need these people in my life. No one in this room is so important. No one in this room is so competent. No one in this room is so gifted that you could walk away from this place and thrive and flourish and grow. No one is. And in order to communicate that, Paul, again, at the beginning of that passage, he directs our attention to the eye, to the human eyes. So let's think about and contemplate our eyes for a second. Many of us take for granted our eyesight, but our eyes are these complex, wonderful, miraculous things. You know, with these eyes, we're able to see where we're walking. We're able to see where we're driving. We are led. We are guided. We are directed by our eyesight. We are able to take in beautiful sunsets and and process beautiful scenery and look at the expressive face of our loved ones. All through our eyesight, our eyes are so very valuable and very important. Would you agree with me on this? But now think about it. How valuable... How great is your eye if you were to tear it from its socket and hold it in your hand? It's kind of a gruesome image, isn't it? But think about it. How much value does the eye give to you then? Zero. Zero is the right answer there. The eye gives you zero value in your hand. In fact, what happens to your eye when removed from your body? It it decays and it dies. It shrivels up. Listen, the eye is extremely valuable. The eye is extremely important, but it is nothing, nothing without the optical nerve transmitting the image that it receives. The eye is absolutely nothing without the brain to process that image and tell the rest of the body what to do. The the eye's very existence depends on blood cells, vessels, veins, transporting life-giving oxygen to the eye to sustain its very existence. And not only that, but we often overlook the importance of the eyelid, that single flap of skin that protects the eye, which is so vulnerable without it. Do you understand what Paul is driving at here? That the eye is so complex and valuable and awesome, but without the rest of the body, the eye is nothing. It has zero value. Its existence and value depends on the rest of the body. It needs the rest of the body. You need the rest of the body. You do. And I'm not not very old, and so I'm not extremely wise, but I'm old enough to have some experience and have learned some things and seen some common patterns in my life. And one thing that I've seen time and time again that that breaks my heart and brings me the greatest sadness almost more than anything else is to watch people who say they're followers of Jesus Christ and watch them walk away from the body of Christ. Watch them think they're going to find flourishing as they move away from this community. Listen, if you want to ensure that as a follower of Jesus Christ you will not flourish, if you want to avoid living anything close to a good life, then run away. Sprint away from this community right now. You, know, you watch people f- walk away for a variety of reasons and sometimes people look at this church in this community or any church kind of in America today and they're like, man, this is not how church was supposed to be. I read the New Testament. Church is supposed to be so different and they walk away and they're going to find a more authentic expression of the church and you know where they walk away to? Usually By themselves. Sometimes people walk away from the church just because they get so busy and they've got these trips on the weekend they want to take and their kids' sports overwhelm their uh, schedule and they're like, ah, church is always going to be there and then over time, they just fall out of the habit of meeting together. And you know, even thinking about these like explicit, like physical ways that people leave the church, here's the thing, there's so many of us in this room right now that we put on a good show and we show up week after week after week, we are present in the body but we are absent in spirit. Maybe we haven't run away from the church physically, but man, we've run away from the church in our hearts. We pretend, but man, we are living for ourselves. And we we don't think we need each other. I'm living for myself. I'm doing my own thing. Because that's what's underlying the movement away from the body of Jesus Christ. Whether it seems to be someone's busy schedule or someone's changing ideology, or whether it's just apathy, underlying all of that is this belief that the system, the culture provides, is actually the way toward flourishing. I need to live for myself. I need to live for. I need to. I need to celebrate my freedom and my individuality, and I need to cast off the chains of my tradition and my community and my family and my religion. That's where I will experience true flourishing. And listen, it's a facade. We've already established that it leads to anxiety and depression and loneliness. And Man, it's sin. And sin never promises on anything. Sin never delivers on anything it ever promises. It just doesn't. And here's the saddest thing about every single individual who would walk away from the body thinking they're going to find a better way. Their end is almost always the same and they think they're going to plunge themselves headfirst into some newfound freedom, when in reality they give themselves over to their desires. And we think we're pretty unique, complex individuals. Man, we boil down to some pretty basic desires. And when we give ourselves over to those desires, we become these carbon copied people enslaved to our sin. And we're so boring and we're so predictable. You see, it's only in God's community in the church where you will thrive where you will flourish. It's only when you die to yourself that you will truly become who God has created you to be. It's in this community. It's in this community we find our meaning, we find our purpose. But listen, we don't just celebrate this community. We don't bow down to this community. We don't worship this body of Christ. We worship Jesus Christ. And if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, we wouldn't have this community. We only have this body of believers because of the work of Jesus Christ. He saw us in our enslavement. He saw us in our lostness. And he wanted to pursue after us. And so he left his glory in heaven. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, fully God in every way, shape, and form, confined himself, constrained himself in all of his infinite glory to finite form, to our flesh. And not just that, Jesus constrained himself to the hardships and the injustices of this world. He was shunned and disregarded. He was accused of crimes he never committed. And he suffered a death he didn't deserve. And not for no reason, he suffered that death. He bore the wrath of God upon himself, the wrath that we deserved, in order to bridge the divide between us and the very God that would give us the flourishing good life we are designed for so he's brought us together as a community. His Holy Spirit is moving and operating and bringing us close together. His Holy Spirit has miraculously equipped and empowered each and every one of us with gifts that we are to use within this community. Thank God for that. And that's why we're here together today are the family of God brought together by the Holy Spirit and the miraculous work of Jesus Christ so let's move forward from this place not just reminded oh yeah that's what we are but let's move forward from this place resolved resolved to live on a mission to be obedient to what God has called us to do and to be the body of Christ together let's pray Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's clear. It is the authority in our lives. We thank you for your spirit moving even now, convicting us of sin, showing us who you are. We pray that your spirit would now empower us toward obedience. God, we are nothing without you. We need you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that... While we were lost and running away, sprinting away from your goodness, you took hold of us and pulled us back in. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy and your kindness. We thank you that you have brought us into this community, into this church, that we are members of the body of Christ. We thank you that we are each and every one of us equipped and empowered with gifts to use in such a way that would glorify you, that would build up this body, that would cause flourishing here in this community and flourishing in our lives. Help us to see the way we can do that in this community. Open our eyes to the ways you've gifted us and equipped us. Each and every one of us have a unique role to fulfill, and we want to step into that and be obedient. All for your glory, Jesus, we pray this in your name.